Now, today we're going to start a brand new series called Pledging Allegiance, which is appropriate since we are one week away from our nation's birthday. Uh, Independence Day is such a fun part of the year uh, where we get to spend time intentionally celebrating and enjoying the freedom we have as citizens of the United States, which we always kind of enjoy it uh, and benefit from it, but we don't always notice it. You know, we just kind of have always lived with remarkable freedom compared to how many in the world live. And um, it's kind of like a fish not realizing they're wet, you know? It's like we're always in it, and so we kind of sometimes take it for granted. Um, I don't know what you do on the 4th of July, but my family, my side of the family, always tends to do something kind of big around the 4th of July. Um, we kind of alternate between a few things. Uh, this year, uh, we, we're going to my mom and dad's house, and my mom and all of us, we, kinda, we rent one of those giant inflatable water slides has a big old pool at the bottom, and this thing is so huge. Like, it's taller than the garage. It's, it's monstrous, this thing. Um, the only thing that could make it better was if we could somehow hook a water heater onto the water hose, because even if it's 100 degrees out, that water is so cold. And the kids don't notice it one bit, and they go up and down that thing like 800 times in the day and still cry when it gets hauled off. Um, when the people come to pick it up in the evening, right? Um, but all us old folks, we go up a few less times than that because of the cold and because of the climb. Um, but the thing is, you know, we do stuff like that, and we enjoy this time of year. Um, and it just is kind of a reminder of the lives that we get to live and the blessings we have of living as Americans because we love our country and we're proud to be a part of our country. And we often look for ways to declare that we are proud of that. Uh, one of the things that often sticks out for uh, people from other countries, when they visit the U.S., is, wow, there are flags everywhere. We put U.S. flags everywhere. They are in so many yards in front of every public building. They are all over the place. And in a lot of countries, that's just not the way that it is. Another thing that makes us pretty unique is that we sing our national anthem before almost every sporting event. A lot of countries, they will play their national anthem before some sort of international match or international game. But when it's just kind of with themselves, they don't. Well, we play it like junior high basketball games. Everyone's up, you know, hand on the heart, finding the, the flag in the gym. I mean, we play it before everything, uh, every basketball game, everything we can. And so um, basically when you're in the U.S., you, we're not going to let you forget that you're in the U.S. That's just kind of how it is. We're very proud of our country. And at the root of our love are some very important principles that our nation was founded upon. In the Declaration of Independence, we read these powerful words. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think most of us probably could have written that down from memory and gotten pretty close. Maybe not word for word, but pretty close. And so the founding uh, fathers believed that life, liberty, and the ability to pursue a life that makes you happy, those were rights. Uh, not rights granted by our country or by them, but they said they're rights bestowed by our creator. That it was a crime against God to infringe upon those rights. And I wholeheartedly agree with that statement, as many of you do. Um, but as Christians, we have to understand that we have a pretty unique role and relationship with the world that we live in. 
Um, and it impacts how we live as citizens in the countries that we find ourselves in. You see, Christians, we can't just get swept up in the culture that we're in. No matter how great we think our country is, we can't oftentimes just let ourselves be swept up in the culture and live like everybody else. Regardless of how virtuous the, the, the principles are of the founding, uh, or, or the principles are of the nation might, might be, we can't just get swept up and say, oh, these are great, I like them, so we should go all in on them. Them. And so we've got to kind of understand that we have a different level of authority that we appeal to that even supersedes that of the documents and the, the nation that we love. And so for the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to compare our culture's understanding and idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness with what Jesus tells us about how we should live our lives and enjoy freedom and pursue happiness. And so we're just going to take these in turn. So today we're going to explore kind of the American view of this right for life and what Jesus um, and the rest of Scripture shows us about what Jesus wants for his followers. Now, one thing we have to understand is that the original intent of the founding fathers when they wrote this, uh, this that life was an unalienable right, um, they kind of meant that every human being should be allowed a nice, peaceful life with relative safety without worry about you know dangerous people for the most part or an oppressive government sentencing them to death for something they said um, or did that really should be an expression of freedom and I'm not here to dispute that or say that's a, a wrong idea or anything like that this sermon series is not about insulting the Declaration of Independence or anything about our Constitution or the principles our nation was founded upon this is not some sort of anti-American rant. So I don't want to hear somebody saying, I didn't know Anthony hated our country. That's not what this is about. I am incredibly grateful for the founding principles of our nation, and I recognize that, that God has placed our nation where it is, when it is, in this time to, be, um, to, to serve his good purpose. Um, but we have to understand that the opportunity that we have to live freely in this world, to live the kind of life that we have to live, we aren't just to live whatever we choose. We aren't to live according to what culture says we should live, but that we have an authority that is to guide and shape and direct every step of who we are. And so this freedom, though, that we have to live a life without oppression or fear of retaliation and to do whatever we want, it has a bit of a downside. And that's something that we don't often recognize. Um, because the easier life is, and the better life often gets, the easier it is for our life to get kind of focused on what it is. Like I said earlier, um, we often don't sit and think, wow, I'm so free. Like you don't go to lunch and decide, and as, after you pick which restaurant you want to go to, after you're leaving the restaurant or pulling out of the drive-thru, you're like, wow, I'm so free. I got to pick Wendy's instead of Chick-fil-A today. What great freedoms we have. Or, you know, when you go to vote, oftentimes you walk out voting for the candidate you want to, but we don't often walk away thinking, wow, I love freedom. We don't, because it just is a part of our culture, and we just kind of take it for granted because it's the waters that we swim in. And likewise, because we get so sucked into just the culture that we live in, we get forgetful of what else there might be beyond the waters that we swim in. And so in several places, the New Testament holds up two ideas. It warns us of the dangers of having an earthly perspective while encouraging us to have an, a heavenly perspective. 
And again, what just happens by living life and going through everyday things is we naturally gravitate towards a, an earthly perspective. It takes work to have a heavenly perspective. An earthly perspective is forced upon you. It is what you are going to be led to every day by all the millions of things that are happening. And there is so much happening all the time. And I never cease to be amazed by the fact that we live in a time when now, not only is there a lot happening, but now we all know all the things that are happening. You know, it's really, I have to pull myself out of life sometimes and just think like, a hundred years ago, most people wouldn't have had a clue of all the things that had just happened today. I know crimes that happened in California. I know where fires are happening around the country. I mean, in days gone past, you wouldn't have known about a forest fire until like three weeks after it was gone and out, right? And now we know everything that's happening. We know every skirmish in Washington. We know everything. And it just bombards us. And it's all this information and the things that cause us to be fearful and worry and the things that make us mad and upset, they just draw our eyes in an earthly direction. And we get stuck here. And so there are many things that grab our attention, consume our thoughts, consume our time. Um, a few examples. Um, the biggest one that has just, in, I feel like in the last 15, 10, 15 years, just as screaming with a bullhorn every day is the political culture, the landscape that's been boiling and bubbling for years. It is so vile and hate-filled. It's divisive. It's us versus them. It's not two people who have different opinions trying to work towards compromise. It's one side trying to destroy the other. And it's we are good. Whatever side you choose, you're the good side. And the other side, they're the devil. They need to be not be they need to be not just pushed aside. They need to be removed from the picture. That seems to be the direction we're going. And the political stuff that we are bombarded with in every news source, in our Facebook feeds, on Instagram ads, everything, even those dumb political text messages that I never signed up for. Did you sign up for them? I get them every day, and they drive me nuts. And I spend half my day clicking info on my phone and block this number. It just drives me nuts, right? That stuff just drags your perspective to the here and the now. And when, we, when our side wins, we're taught to celebrate and brag. and be like, yeah, we showed them, whoever them is, and, and we you know, celebrate our moral superiority over the evil forces of Democrats or Republicans. Um, and then when we lose a, our, an inch on our side, we're outraged. It's an injustice. How, I, this can't stand. We've got to destroy. Again, we've got to rally the troops and come back stronger than before. And we get caught up in this. And the emotions that mostly this rings up in us is fear, anger, and pride. Fear, anger, and pride. And those, oh, those emotions get you to do so much with your life. They are such uh, sticky emotions, if you will. They grab your attention and they, it, it makes it hard to hold on. Another thing that's happening that grabs our attention is just entertainment. We have so many avenues to be entertained. I mean, I wonder when the definition for boredom was invented. Because I don't think we understand boredom. We don't have a clue what boredom is. My kids walk around the house, I'm bored. You don't even know, man. Like, when I was your age, I didn't have 
eight video game systems, I had a stick outside, and I had to figure out what that stick was going to be, a sword or, or uh, Donatello's bow staff from Ninja Turtles. Like, I had to figure it out, you know? You don't know what boredom is. And now we have unlimited ways to be entertained. We've got Disney and Netflix um, with unending streams of really addicting, binge-worthy shows that give you mysteries and cliffhangers that make you want to come back season after season, episode after episode. Um, and then you've got... Um, YouTube videos now of people that break down and talk about the shows that you just watched on Netflix or Disney Plus saying, did you notice this thing in the background? That might mean a hint for season two. And you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even notice it. And it keeps to that rotating in your thoughts on end between seasons of Stranger Things or Obi-Wan Kenobi or whatever the show might be. And, and then you get to talk about online stuff. There's online communities where hardcore fans can go and talk about the shows so that they never have to stop thinking about the shows and the entertainment, and then they could fight with each other about what decision was good on the show and what decision was bad on the show, and this season was awful and a disgrace. No, this was the best one yet, and it just sucks us into the here and now. And then there's the fact that a lot of us just have a ton of stuff that we can get and have access to. And What's interesting is, even though poverty is still a very real issue in our culture, and it has been in every culture, it's hard to deny that we live in an age where we are really more prosperous and have more access to things than really any culture in history. Um, we have an, a, a ridiculous uh, uh, access to abundance. And, you know, there's cars and phones and houses and air conditioning. You know, I often will watch a show that takes place in days gone by, you know, whether it's some horrible Victorian-era show that Abby is making me watch, or a musical set back way back when, or whatever. Um, last night she was watching Downton Abbey, and I was sit- I, every time I watch one of these shows, I just think, there's no air conditioning in that room they're in right now. I, don't, I can't help it. It's the first thing I think of. I also think, no one has deodorant on. <laughs> no one right here has deodorant. What must that house smell like? It's a beautiful house, but what what must that smell like? That's what I think of every time. Like, hmm, boy, Crest toothpaste wasn't a thing then either. Scope, mouth, Listerine, like none of that stuff existed. And 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 I just think I would never have survived. Like you could transform me back in time, and I would die a quick death. I would just not be able to make it. I'm convinced of that, right? And so we have all of these things now that make our lives so easy and great. We can make our yards look like golf courses. Uh, We have cars with seats that will massage you while you drive. That, I mean, I'm not there yet. We're always like 10, 15 years behind the car thing, just the way we buy cars. But one day, uh, we have swimming pools and outdoor kitchens that make home feel like paradise. You know, we have so much. And again, all of these things that we have access to, they just draw our gaze down down to the life that is here and now. And so it is very, very easy for us to get lost and have this earthly perspective. And so when we think about life, the life that we are given by that, inal- that inalienable right to life, we just think all of this stuff, the, the political culture of life, the, the trying to make our world better through politics or trying to make our world better through entertainment or making our world better by getting more stuff, that's what we tend to think of when we think of what is your life. And so often, though, We miss out on very important things because our perspective is not right. And when you start to think that all that matters is the here and now, 
and we are consumed with an earthly perspective, one of the problems that happens, I guess, is that things start to feel really big. Things here feel way bigger than they are. Every problem is a monumental problem, to use the terminology of VBS this week. Uh, things like the political stuff, right? Every decision that goes your way or not your way feels like an earth-shaking, life-altering thing. And again, if it's not your, the direction you want, that feels scary and overwhelming and, oh no, life will never be the same. And we wonder about what it means for the future. When we have this lower earthly perspective, our cravings to have our desires filled so that we can find happiness, that becomes this all-consuming thing. And we become obsessed with pleasure and entertainment and having our desires met. Uh, we get self-focused, um, and we worry about ourselves and what we have and what we don't and what's missing from our lives and how can we make this life better for us. Everything gets a little bigger when you have this earthly perspective. I don't know if you've ever, um, well, you've seen, obviously, you, we all have cameras now. That was a dumb thing I almost said. Like, I don't know if you've ever used a camera. Like, <laughs> but, you've, but, you know, if you have a, like, when we have kids, right, sometimes I'll kneel down to get their video. Why? Because it makes them look bigger, and it makes them take up more of the frame, and it, it lets their little bodies seem a little bit more imposing to the screen. Same thing. When we are down, crouched low on our earthly perspective, everything in this life feels bigger for good or for bad. And But over and over again in the New Testament, we are pushed to take a step back, to zoom our perspective out, and to see things from a bigger, higher perspective. The Apostle Paul, he was a church planner and pastor in the first century. He wrote a letter to a church in the Roman city of Colossae, uh, where he tells these Christians that they have to work to keep a perspective that is proper and good and right. They have to work to keep an a heavenly perspective and not an earthly perspective because the earthly is natural. That's what we all gravitate towards. And he says you've got to work to zoom your eyes out. And he says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, yeah, that. That was also something I said earlier that I meant to put up there earlier. He says, if, so this is Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are, are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So Paul starts by kind of drawing our attention in and saying, if you have been raised with Christ. He's getting us to be like, okay, are you a Christian? Have you been baptized? If so, then pay attention because I'm talking directly to you. He says, stop letting your attention and your time and your perspective be consumed with the world and everything that is happening here. He says, stop believing that what is happening on this earth, are, all these things are the most supreme things. They're not. He's like, stop letting yourself be overcome with fear because of the powers and the leaders of your world that you think are all powerful. They're not. Stop thinking your problems are insurmountable just because they're bigger than you. They're not. Paul wants us to be keenly aware that there is more happening than we can see with our eyes or feel with our hands. And he tells us to set our minds on things above where Christ is. He makes it very clear. Look at Jesus. He says Christ, where Christ is. Look at Christ over and over again in these four short verses. And where is Jesus? He says he's at the right hand of the Father. Now we miss that because we don't live in a world of kings and thrones and all of that. But in the ancient world, 
You know, you picture the king on a throne, the ruler on a throne, and the people who sat next to that throne were a big deal. They also had ridiculous amounts of authority. And for Jesus to be sitting next to the throne of God, kind of on his own co-throne, it's saying, hey, all those people you think are in charge and all, have all power over your life, wrong. Jesus is above them all, seated on a throne much, much, much higher than them. He has much more authority and power than your politicians. He's bigger than your government. He's bigger than your nations. And, and not only is he bigger, but he has control in ways that we don't see and understand, and he is working a story throughout history, not the powers of this world. There is something bigger than what we see. And so for Christians, whether we have an earthly perspective or a heavenly perspective, that will shape the kind of person we become. Because like I said, when we, whatever stream of information and input we put ourselves in front of, that shapes us. Um, you know, one of the Things we talked about with VBS, you have these giant towers out kind of in the middle of nowhere in Monument Valley, or you even look at like the Grand Canyon. These things are weathered away by time, by whatever wind or water was around them. It roads them away and shapes them into what they are today. You and I are the same. Whatever stream we put ourselves in, that's what we're going to be shaped by. If we put ourselves down on an earthly level, we're going to be shaped by all things earthly. If we put ourselves on a heavenly level, we're going to be shaped by things that are heavenly. And so if we get caught just seeing things from the earthly side, then our hearts are going to be shaped in that direction rather than being influenced by the power of our Savior. And so what Paul wants us to see is that your perspective is going to shape your heart. Your perspective is going to shape your heart. And again, the natural thing that's going to happen to everyone, Christians and not Christians, is to get sucked lower and lower and lower until everything in this world seems to be all-powerful and all-consuming. But we've got to pull ourselves out of that. And so he then kind of goes on to say, like, here's what happens when you have an earthly perspective, and then here's what happens when you have a heavenly perspective. Let's talk about the earthly one first. He goes on in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put away them all. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So he gives us this kind of list of all these things that we have to put away, all the things that naturally show up when we live from an earthly perspective. They are just a natural outpouring of living an earthly perspective. And what's interesting is they all sound so bad and obvious, right? Evil desires. But the thing is, when we're in that, being shaped by that, we don't see the desires as evil, we don't see sexual immorality as immorality. We don't see these things for what they really are. We just become shaped by them. And yet, that's what happens when we think this life is all important. Again, the biggest problems become uh, the, the, all that we need to focus on. I mean, I think that's what's happening in our world, why politics has been amped up to the, the level that it is. I mean, so many people in our country, it is, it is God. Their, their political leaning is God. That's what's going to save the world is that agenda of their side, whether it's blue or red or other. They're the ones that are going to fix everything and save everything. It becomes this huge, all-powerful thing. And that's just not the way that it is. I mean, we are a blip in human history. 
And all the things that are coming back into style now have been in style before. It is another wave. But we can't see that. We can't see that this is just a moment in history. We can't see that it's not the way that it goes. And I read this phrase the other, the other day, and I loved it. And I've, I don't know if I've heard it before, but they said, um, humans tend to suffer from chronological snobbery. Meaning that we, every generation thinks they're smarter and better than the generation that came before. And nowhere does this show up more than in high school when you're like, my parents are so dumb. Even though your parents are smarter than you. Every parent has almost always been smarter than their kid, right? And you just are blind to it. It just kind of is the way that it is. And so we think we're so smart. And we look back at things that are written like in the first century and we're like, so dumb. We're so much smarter than them because we know how far stars away are now and what black holes are. Those people were dumb and didn't know nothing. So we're so smart. And, and the reality is when you look at history, people have been smart people. They might not have had the access to the knowledge that we have, but they were smart, capable, thinking people. And these things that we think are, you know, we're bringing into the world that are better, they are old ideas and we're just recycling them. But again, when we have an earthly perspective and we only see our moment that we're living in, we can't understand that. And every desire we have is all-powerful when we are having an earthly perspective. We have to scratch every itch, satisfy every desire, chase every sexual victory and every passion. We've got to covet everything that everyone has because this is the life we have, and if we're going to be happy, we better get it all while we can. And these are ungodly behaviors, so Paul says. But they are just the natural result of living life from an earthly, smaller perspective. And he tells us we need to raise ourselves up to something better, that we are to be blessed by a higher perspective because we have put our life in Christ. And because of Jesus and his supremacy, we have a better way to live. And so we don't live down in the muck and mud of, of an earthly perspective, but we have a more honorable and beautiful way of seeing things through Jesus. He goes on here in verse 12. We're going to skip one verse. He says, put on then... So we put off all that bad stuff. He says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all, above all of these, put on love, which brings ev binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we put on a whole different way of not just living, but looking at the world. A way of life that rather than feeling like life has been stingy to you and it's taken things from you, we put on a perspective of, of, wow, God has been so generous. I have friends and life and air conditioners. And you can start to appreciate the things the world has given us rather than worshiping the things the world has given us. We don't, you aren't owed the things the world has given you. They are a gift from God himself. We put on generosity and then compassion, humility, meekness, patience, and peace. Is anybody doing any, I mean, do you see any place in our world that naturally shapes you with those things? To be more humble, to be more meek. No, every news story, every thing, you know, because this 
back and forth, I hate you thing, it's not only the political realm, it bleeds out into every conversation that could be had online. Every, every social media is a dumpster fire happening in front of you in real time. And none of this is, I mean, you know what, I'm going to humbly try to understand your perspective and just see what this other person's talking about. It's no, I'm going to slam dunk on your face with my points, and then I'm going to sign off so I don't have to listen to you anymore. Like, it's such a backwards way. But yet, none of those things, the patience, the humility, the meekness, the peace, that is not a natural way to live. And it is not what we will be shaped into in our world today. And so we must keep our eyes on Jesus. We must realize that our lives are really with him. And that's an interesting switch that the Christians have to make. We have this unalienable right to life. But as Christians, what we do with that life is we give it to Jesus. And it says in Colossians, the uh, very first of Colossians chapter 3, Paul says that our life then, it's not here. Our life is not about this world anymore. Our life is hidden with Christ meaning the fullness of who we are, our hope of eternity, our future uh, of being perfected and made wonderfully, finally like Jesus, where we will live with him for eternity. That future of our life is hidden away, waiting to be unveiled when Jesus returns. And so we keep our eyes on Jesus, because he is where our true life lies, not in anything this world has to offer or any of the promises the world is going to make. This is the way Paul says it in his letter to the church in Philippi. He says, but our, what's that word? Citizenship is in heaven. And from it, from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Christians, as we get really excited and proud about this time of year, about how good our nation, uh, how, how good the founding principles of our nation are and the, the freedoms that we are offered, and we start to appreciate that, it's not wrong to appreciate that. But we've got to remember that um, we're, we're kind of people with like two passports. One says here and one says heaven. Like one says here, one says U.S., but one points to a different level of citizenship, a higher level of citizenship. That we aren't solely citizens of any nation on earth, but we, are of a, we, we serve a higher kingdom. We have a higher authority and a higher level of allegiance to our Heavenly Father, so that we don't get caught up in the here and now, no matter how great the here and now might be, no matter how great the promises of our founding fathers might sound. We live as citizens of heaven by keeping our eyes on Christ, and we actually, hopefully, by keeping our eyes on Him and being shaped by Him, hopefully, we will be shaped into being better citizens for the here and now. We will be a blessing to the people that we live with in our country. We will become shining examples of Christ-likeness in a chaotic and hurting world. We'll become people of peace in a world of animosity. We'll become people of humility in an age of pride and anger and dominance. We'll become people of love in a culture of hate. But that is not going to naturally happen if we just go along with the flow. We've got to lift our heads up and keep them on focused on Jesus. We will never live a life that leads to the fullness of human flourishing. We will never be the best version of ourselves if we allow all of our thoughts to be consumed and shaped from an earthly perspective. As Christians, we must keep our minds, set our minds and hearts on things above. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this country we live in. We understand that this is not the only country in the world. This is not the only nation that you have made and you've created in this time and 
in this season of history. We understand that you show up in powerful ways beyond any border, that you work in places where countries try to kick you out of. You work in places where you are made illegal, that you don't uh, listen and obey the rules of earthly leaders. Um, But we are grateful for the world we live in and the country we live in. We're grateful for the the, the freedoms that we have. I mean, some Christians like to, to claim persecution, but Father, we know that where we live, we, ha- we, don't, we don't experience that in any meaningful way. We come here Sunday after Sunday, free to praise your good name. We come here Sunday after Sunday, free to, to teach um, your word without any fear of retribution or retaliation or, or any sort of oppression by anyone else. And so we come. Um, just grateful that we have that ability to, to talk proudly about the truth of your word. And I just pray that as we live in such a great nation that we would have um, the perspective to see that um, it is still an earthly thing. It is still an earthly place. And that you've called us to look and to live according to a higher standard. And that we would be shaped by your word, by your guidance, by your spirit, so that when we, as we live out in this earthly world, that we would shine your light. That as we go throughout our day and as our, hopefully as a church together, we grow more like Jesus, that we would create a little pocket of your kingdom here in an earthly kingdom. And that we might show the world your goodness, your grace, and your love. And that um, we would live as a kind of a counterculture, that we would be different than what is naturally assumed to be good and right in our world. And we would live to what is good and right according to your beautiful eternal perspective. So help us, Father, to be shaped, again, by your love, your goodness, your grace, and not by the the weathering agents of our culture, because you are so good and can be trusted in all times, and we're grateful for that. It's in Jesus' wonderful name that we pray. Amen.